I am grateful for your prayers. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be doing this without crutches today, but I am grateful for hands-free living at this point, and my physical therapist is probably cursing me right now in this room. But I'm grateful to be able to, to stand a little bit this week. Uh, I do want to make you aware of, uh, of a need, and, and there's always many, many needs that we have in the church. The prayer chain is a vital ministry of the church. The prayer force is a vital, vital ministry of the church. It, it gives us the opportunity to pray for uh, needs that in God's economy he wants us praying about. And um, this past week, uh, the Ryans would receive news that their 23-year-old son, Jonathan, who had been diagnosed with uh, melanoma cancer, would go through surgical procedure to have that removed from his back, only to discover that it had spread into his lymph nodes. And so that's a rather serious diagnosis that they are having to uh, receive faith from God and grace from God to walk through and to hear further report on what the next steps will be for him coming this week. So please keep them in your prayers. They're doing amazingly well Uh, Jonathan is doing amazingly well, has sought to glorify God through all that he's heard uh, and has given this an opportunity that this would be God's means of glorifying himself in his life. And that's an amazing thing to hear come out of the mouth of a 23-year-old young man. Uh, So please be in prayer for them um, as they walk in the next days ahead through the next steps. Uh, One of the things that we were the rich recipients of while at the conference this week was a bunch of books. The guys who run together for the gospel, the conference, uh, they just stick piles of books on your chair before every meeting. And so you have to remember to bring extra luggage to be able to bring it all home. So probably about 25 books, I think, we received. One that uh, I was able to carry in my onto-the-plane bag uh, was this one, The Priority of Preaching. And in beginning to read that, I came across this quote that I thought was... It was just insightful and helpful for us. He starts off the book by saying this. This book is written for preachers and aspiring preachers. It is also written for listeners. In this magnificent account of Calvin's preaching, T.H.L. Parker writes, The preacher is only the half of the church's activity of proclamation. The assumption seems to be that whereas the preacher is really doing something... The people have a passive role, like so many jugs waiting to be filled. Anyone who has regularly preached over many years, but then has been a member of a congregation for some time, would be hard put to it to decide which was the more demanding. Preaching well or listening properly? That's a very helpful thought. Because it would be expected, it would be rightfully expected, that any of us who are standing in the pulpit to preach the word of God would have prepared ourselves appropriately to speak to you about things that matter for eternity, about handling the sacred word of God that God has preserved for us as a church. But it would be equally accurate that... Not just the one speaking needs to be prepared, but all those who listen need to be prepared. 
So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to open in prayer this morning, but I really would like for you, you don't all have to pray out loudly, but I would like for you to pray and not just to listen to me pray for you, but I'd like for you to pray that God would give you ears to hear what he wants to communicate to you this morning. Okay, so let's bow our heads together. Lord, thank you for divinely ordaining that speaking your word and speaking of your word through the ministry of preaching would have an ability to affect us. Lord, that, that simply wouldn't matter unless you had ordained it to be so. So Lord, not only as I have been praying, Lord, for what I will say today, and your anointing upon me to be able to communicate words of life. But Lord, for each one who listens this morning, Lord, let us have ears to hear what your spirit would communicate to us, that your words of life would be sown into our hearts, and we would enjoy days ahead of reaping the benefit of truth planted deeply and transforming our souls. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's open up to John chapter 20. One of the guys who was speaking at Together for the Gospel this week was John Piper. Always an incredible blessing to be able to hear John Piper. Uh, But John also helps us, though, here locally in a unique way because... Our impression of moving through books like the Gospel of John would be that, well, we've been doing this for a while, right? Until you hear how long it takes John Piper to preach through a book, you all of a sudden realize, hey, we're moving. We are moving. When he says he preached through Romans in six years. Y'all remember us preaching through Romans? It didn't take six years. It took a long time, but it didn't take six years. I think we're less than three years in the Gospel of John. I think. Right? It won't be like three years this summer if I'm, my dates are correct. It may be more than that, but I think that's accurate. And John's going through the Gospel of John. And I think he was anticipating how long? Five years? Five or six years to do the Gospel of John. So we are moving. All right, so buckle up. I don't want anybody falling out of the chairs as we fly through the Gospel of John chapter 20. But let's look here in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, I want to focus on something here that's common. At this point in the account of the Gospels, we have, we have just passed the resurrection. Right? So we celebrated Easter. We've just passed the resurrection. 
And it's almost as though there is this picture being taken. It's a picture of Christianity in transition, but it's, it's almost like one of those fancy cameras. I don't know if many of y'all have fancy cameras. We have a fancy camera that if we don't learn to use it soon, it's just a fancy point and click. But we're on our way. Uh, but I do know something about the camera, that, that you can adjust the shutter speed. I know I'm already over some of your heads, but you can adjust the shutter speed apparently on these cameras so that if you are in a low light situation, you can click and you actually can hear the shutter. Normally it's it's click, click. But if you adjust the shutter speed down so that more light can be let in, it stays open longer. It kind of goes click. And and if you move it, you're in trouble. But if you're steady, that's where you get those cool pictures of like... uh, uh, cityscapes at night and the the lights have streaked along the highway lines there because the shutter opened and it stayed open and it gathered in several things and then it closed well almost at this point in the gospel that that's what's happening here this is this is the last frame the last picture of jesus ministry on earth as the son of man and there's a transition taking place in his ministry. And this last picture of Jesus is going to get shot here in John chapter 20, really all the way through the beginning of the first chapter of Acts. We, we find Jesus is still here and he's communicating something, but he seems to be wanting to say the same things over and over and over again. So in multiple scenes, we have Jesus communicating about the Great Commission. We find him here sending the disciples. And then also communication about the coming of the Spirit. These two dynamics are going to be in frame over and over and over again. It's going to be like a streaky light here because it continues to be mentioned by Christ. Now, I don't have, I don't have an outline for you that contains all this. Uh, just due to some crisis situations Friday. I wasn't able to finish that outline. It is available. It will be online. Uh, I think Covenant Group leaders, if you don't have a copy now, you can get a copy today before you leave, so that'll help you out with leading your meetings. Uh, But in John chapter 20, there's a reflection of this theme, but that's also true in other places. Now turn with me in your word to Matthew 28. We're going to look at a couple of quick other passages in this same snapshot. And I want you to see the same elements are present. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then immediately receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 28. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28. Thank you for noticing that there aren't 28 chapters in John. Matthew 28, verse 18. The scene is, is now in a different setting on a mountain in Galilee. And Jesus came and said to them, this after the resurrection, after the John 20 event, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father, so in some sense, Jesus is not going to be with them. Yet in this passage, he's telling them, I am with you 
always to the end of the age. Now, who is he referring to right there? The Holy Spirit. Right, so here you have, again, the Great Commission. Right, We've got a scene in the upper room in Jerusalem. We have a scene now in Galilee where Jesus is on a mountainside with the disciples talking about the same stuff. The Great Commission, go, and I will be with you. I will bring the Spirit with you as you go. Mark records the same thing. Luke chapter 24, turn there. Luke 24, I believe would be again a description, a little more detail of Luke recording what took place in Jerusalem just after the resurrection. Verse 46, a little more detail, Luke's perspective, a little more full than John's. He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, can you hold on to that? I don't know if I'm going to get to that point, but I think we will. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Remember that that little passage is a little bit of trouble for some of us in the John passage where it talks about if you retain man's sins, they are retained. Remember that? This is the same information being given now. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Mission, again, commission to the disciples again. And behold, verse 49, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The empowerment of the Spirit. The commission to the church, the empowerment of the Spirit. One more, Acts chapter 1. One more place, just after the Gospel of John. Acts chapter 1, remember, the shutter has stayed open, and this is all that's coming flying into. This is the last frame of Jesus interacting with his disciples, and all this is the recurring agenda in his heart. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Right? This is post-resurrection, but just before the ascension. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Yet again, the same thing is being said. The empowerment of the Spirit and the Great Commission. The empowerment of the Spirit and the Great Commission. See, Christianity right now, in this passage, it's making a transition. And for the disciples especially, it's making a transition. I think that's the reason why Mary, who had followed Christ in the verses just before this, when she clings to Jesus... It's not as though, and many people read this passage, so there's not much clarity given, as though it was illegal to touch the pre-ascended Christ. Don't touch me, Mary. You know, it's like you're going you're gonna to mess me up somehow. But in the meeting just after this, Jesus invites his disciples. Here, touch, see. He, he invites Thomas. Touch and see, Thomas. Put your hands here. You, 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 need, you need help in believing. But in this passage where she's clinging, I think the clinging is not so much about the physical touching dimension. As much as for her, it's a clinging to the past. 
It's a clinging to the Christ that she's known in his earthly ministry. And Jesus is transitioning at this moment. The earthly ministry of me hanging out with you guys and you following me and I'm going out and I'm doing these great healings and and I'm preaching and crowds are amazed, that's coming to an end. No more are you just going to be amongst me learning. Now you are going to be leading. We're transitioning now. No longer will it just be you are with me observing. Now it's time for you to be doing. No longer are we just in a mode of mentoring. Now we are in the mode of mission. And so there is this transition here in the Gospels. Now I want to say this. That transition exists for every one of us when we come to Christ. Now, quite honestly, I I think it's hard in this day and age in American Christianity to make that transition, to go from I'm on the receiving end to I'm on the giving end. I'm on the mission end. I'm the one being sent. You know, there's something about the, the, the influence and the true dynamic of the church being a bit of a hospital for those who have walked in the world for years and they've gotten beat up by the world. And that's a true sense. That, that, that really is what the church is in many ways. And so, you know, when I, I mentioned, you know, I was looking through some of the top-selling books that are being published in Christendom. Um, these are not wrong. I wouldn't recommend necessarily these books, but either one of these books I really would not recommend. But um, title of them, one of them is called Conflict-Free Living. I, I just want you to notice how often we orient Christianity toward f- fixing and help <clears throat> for me. I-, I need fixing. I need help. Right? The promo for the book says, every person in the world should experience the joy of a peaceful life. But we don't. We're full of emotional bruises, grudges, stress, and unresolved issues in our relationships. Right? We can all amen that, right? That is very true. But things do not need to be this way. And so the appeal of this book is you're broken, you're not working right, relationships aren't working right. It shouldn't be that way. Christianity can come with the right set of wrenches and can fix your situation. That's the appeal. Another book title I came across, these are all top-selling books. It's Your Time. Headline, God wants you to realize your God-given dreams and ambitions. And listen, if I hang that on the front of the building outside, it will appeal to many, many folks. Because who here doesn't want to have their dream come true? Is there anybody here who just doesn't want to have their dream come true? I mean, maybe if you're a masochist or something, it's like, I just dream terrible dreams. But if you're dreaming anything adventurous and fun and, and good, wouldn't you like to have your dreams come true? Well, what if I could tell you that Christianity is about your dreams coming true? Well, it is if you're dreaming the right dreams, but the problem is a lot of us aren't dreaming the right dreams. But it is appealing. Now, let me, let me say this carefully, because this isn't hung on the outside of the church, but you walk across it every time you come into this building. There's two plaques that really do represent this transition in Christianity on your way in the building if you go out through the veterans' entrance. You come in one 
plaque faces out. It's Matthew 11, verse 28, and the verses following it, where Jesus invites and says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I, I want to say this, and because I'm not always fair about this. I, I'm, I'm probably a little too heavy-handed in, in this. You know, Jesus' invitation there does start with you and your condition. What's most real to anyone reading that passage is weary and heavy laden. What's probably least real is learn of me. Jesus is inviting you to learn of him from a condition of weary and heavy laden. So in some sense, the gospel does start with you're in bad shape you probably could use some help, right? You're weighed down by life. Things don't work. Your physical health is failing. Your relationships are failing. You've been disappointed and hurt by people. You've hurt people. You have guilt sitting on you. Right? That, that's what that verse is saying. Come to me if that's the condition that you're in and learn of me. So some people who come to Christ... The first step is not because they have seen Christ in his glory and he's awesome and I'm coming because he's worthy of my life. No, no, no. You may be here this morning saying, I'm not quite real sure about Christ, actually. I just know I'm hurting. And I know somebody who came to church, came to church here, came to church somewhere, and and they seem to be doing better. That's why I'm here. Okay, listen. That's not wrong. Because before you're a student of Christ, this is true of all of us, you're already a student of yourself. You've studied yourself long before you've studied Christ. And you know more about yourself long before you know anything about him. But yet he does invite you to come and learn. And that, that word for learning, it's the same word from which we get disciple. And there's going to be a transition point. And you'll see the transition point when you walk out the door. Because you walked in with the invitation of the Savior saying, come to me, you who are beat up by life. But when you walk out the front door, please read the other plaque. It's to the right side, and it faces you as you walk out. It's Matthew 28. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. So there's going to be this transition for every Christian that when we come to Christ, we we may come to him for healing and for comfort and repair When you've been a Christian for any length of time, you are called to transition. And it's an urgent call by God. And can I say this? It's a healthy call. Somehow we think that we're the best salve and ointment for our bobos is to stare at our bobos more. Or to go to get counseling, to get taught how to stare at our bobos more. Some of you only thought to dig into the past five years of your life. You went and got counseling, and then you figured out, no, I need to dig into the childhood years as well. I need to, I need to get in touch through all kinds of means, through hypnosis, through just wandering back through my emotions. I, I, need, I need to study me. Can I tell you that there's no redemption in studying you? Because you're not a redeemer. (laughs) The more you study you, the more you get in touch with the weary part. 
The call to Christ is to recognize I'm weary enough to come to him. That's all I need. I just need to be weary enough to come to him and then to learn of him. Listen, uh, the key to your walking in this life with joy and transformation and meaning is not locked up in your past. It's locked up in you discovering him. So that is the healthiest thing that's going to happen to you as an individual. Not being taught to be a more prolific sort of navel gazer, but to learn of Christ. Now, now, be honest with me here. When your life starts to stink and it goes bad, don't you find it really hard to get your eyes off the stink? It's very tempting just to draw everybody else into that conversation. Everything you're talking about, you're caught up in it, you're studying it, you're meditating on it. Health is going to come when you can get your eyes off of you and on him. And there's this transition point for these disciples to get outward oriented right now. As the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. And so I want to look at three things. I don't think I'm going to get to all three in this passage. The first is the sending, the second, the receiving, and the third is the forgiveness of sins. If you're back in John chapter 20 with me, verse 21, Jesus again said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, in John, this is a bit of an abrupt transition of discussion for John. He, John doesn't go into, hey, you need to see my hands. You need to check my feet. Yeah, it's really me. I'm resurrected. John skips that. John says, peace be with you. He mentions, and then he goes back to, oh, by the way, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. So I am sending you. Almost as though this is what Jesus wanted to get to with these guys. Not, not a reminiscing, you know, almost as though you'd think, Jesus, you, you, you just did what no man's done before. How'd you do that, man? How'd you overcome death? What's resurrection like? Do you travel through a tunnel? Is there a light at the end? Come on, Jesus, tell us what happened here. It, Jesus doesn't go into any of that. He is quickly moving from peace be to you. As the Father sent me, I, I am sending you. And we're going to capture that over and over again, right? In this frame, Jesus is going to be over and over again referring to that topic. Bruce Milne in his commentary says, Jesus has come not merely to assure them of his conquest of death and the triumph of his kingdom. He's also come to instruct and prepare them for what lies ahead. The mission about which he had taught them is now imminent and he sets them apart for it in a solemn moment of commissioning. Now listen, Bruce Milne says this rather strongly. He's he's undoubtedly smarter than I am, but he's stronger in these categories than I'm probably even comfortable with. But it needs to be in our consideration. The key to the statement is the parallel it draws between the sending of Jesus into the world by the Father and the sending of the apostolic community into the world by the risen Son. Remember, as the Father sent me. Jesus doesn't merely say, I'm sending you. He says, in the same way, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So he certainly introduces a huge amount of gravity by bringing his own sending into their sending. If the parallel holds good, 
then mission must have the same importance for the community as it had for Jesus. The challenge is evident. As Jesus is defined by the mission of the Father, I'm not quite sure I'd go that far, but I understand what he's saying. So the church is defined by its mission to the world. Now I understand particularly for him to reference Jesus being defined, because Jesus did define himself that way in the Gospel of John. Six times he refers to himself as the sent one, the one sent from the Father, the one sent over and over. Six times, just in John, he refers to himself as the one sent. So much of what we understand about God comes because of the person and work. I think those two things need to go together when we talk about Christ. Uh, Because if you don't put those two words together, the person and work of Christ, that's what we believe in. We don't just believe in some defined existence of God with a personality. The work of what Christ did is wrapped up in what you believe that saves you. So the person and work of Christ is, is what this is referring to. So the sent one is the work that he was doing. He is the redeemer. He is the savior. So in some way you could say he's defined by him being sent. So as he is sent, you and I are sent. And that makes our sending very Very weighty. And the fact that Jesus wastes no time here in John wants to get to that. The fact that he mentions it over and over and over again brings to our attention how imminent, how urgent, how important this sending is. This is is not a casual sending. This is not Jesus was tossed casually from heaven on a mission. No, no, Jesus was launched on a mission with huge velocity and urgency and intensity. You know, this, this is probably not where your mind would go. Um, my mind goes here, just because there is this etch to me. I'm, I'm not one who plays with bows and arrows. Some of you might do that. I don't really do that, so I don't know a lot about archery. But there is this scene in The Lord of the Rings. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, my boys and I like to watch The Lord of the Rings. There's a scene there where Boromir gets killed. He's killed by one of those big, ugly orcs with an arrow. And in that scene, that orc pulls back the bow. And if you remember the scene, he pulls it back, and it gets to the point where it begins to sound like leather being stretched. And you can hear the intensity of this. And you know, when he lets go of this, Whatever's on the other end is done. The intensity with which the bow is pulled back. This is the way in which the Son of God is sent from the Father. There is an intensity in God's sending, sending his Son to the earth. There's no casualness in it. Remember the Bible says Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Jesus would not, could not have missed the cross. The Son of God was aimed at the cross with such an intensity that there was no power on earth, whether you are in the beginning in the wilderness with the devil tempting him and offering him kingdoms in a shortcut. Do you understand? The arrow of the Son of God is traveling so fast toward the cross that there's nothing going to blow it off course. There's no distraction. There's nothing that will remove the Son of God from hitting the target of his mission. And then Jesus turns and says, 
as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. With the same intensity, the church gets launched by our bow pulled back in these passages and sent into the earth with an intensity. This, this is a, a statement of velocity. These are, these are people on the move. This collection of people who are the disciples who represent us in this passage are moving at a high speed toward a target with their lives. Now this obviously helps us to analyze a little bit about the rate of travel for us. Because we are sent as well. We are sent with the same commission. We are launched by the same God who has compared our sending to the sending of the Son of God for the work of redemption. Now listen, it just makes sense because if you send the work to be accomplished and you don't send the news of that accomplishment then you don't accomplish redemption. So there is a sense of intensity for both equally to share in the intensity of us being sent. You know, I do think we need to give pause to the velocity of our lives. How is our life hastening toward that goal? You know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Right? Vision can be a sense of revelation from God. Where there's no compelling sense that this is what God has for my life, says the people become unrestrained. They just sort of meander, they wander. It's almost like the difference between being shot by that bow versus, you know, the little ones they sell in the store? Like the ones you can buy at Toys R Us. You know, real cheesy. You've got some kind of a little arrow thing. You can pull it back with fingertips on both ends. You know, and you send it and it goes, <laughs> if it even flies, point first, you know. That would be the difference between how we are sent as, as to how compelling of a vision do I have in my heart. Jesus is all about compelling them, launching them, pulling back the bow. And sending them. I can remember growing up. The the difference in compelling. Family vacations carried a different sense of compelling toward the target for my brother and I than it did for my mom. You know, back when we were traveling as kids, uh, my parents loved to go to Disney World. So we would, they they loved to take us to Disney World. I'm not sure they loved it all that much. But they would take us to Disney World over and over and over again. And, and back then, the interstate system wasn't even completed. So you'd have to get off the interstate and go travel. Remember that? You'd travel down these kind of side highways. Well, you know, for us, that was, that was going to be a problem. That was going to be a problem. Because, you know, the moment we left, we, we were like heat-seeking missiles, my brother and I. We, we wanted to get to Disney World. My mom, on the other hand, was like this passage. Where there was no vision, the mom was unrestrained. And so she could travel down a highway and, and we would create distractions to keep her from seeing words like antiques, <laughs> flea market, right? We knew for her at that moment, if she caught wind of that, she saw a sign that said antiques. We knew we're not going to be riding Space Mountain 
We're going to be wandering through a bunch of old furniture that smells like mothballs. And we're not even going to buy any of it. You know, we're in a car traveling to Florida. Where are we putting that? But for mom, you know, she wasn't urgent to get to Disney World. So antiques, honey, can you pull over? Antiques. Oh, no. (laughs) You you wonder, you know, is, is this sort of our version of Christianity, right? Just, you know, whatever billboard pops up on the way, you know, it's like, ooh, ooh, look. Ooh, let's, let's pull over and look. Let's venture off. Let's go check that out. It's like every exit ramp could lead us to something more significant. Why? Because we're kind of not going anywhere. There isn't a sense of velocity to my life. And if there's not, then I am living unrestrained. And if I am unrestrained, I'm casting off restraints. See, velocity restrains you. The faster you move in a direction, you watch this as a kid learns to ride a bike. The faster he can go, the more he will go straight, right? The slower he goes, the more he rides like this, and eventually, too fast, and boom, gets knocked over. Well, you know, that, that same word is used in Exodus. It's, it's the word para in Hebrew. It means to let loose in the sense of to let run wild. And it's used in Exodus 32 when Moses comes down from the mountain to visit a people who were on a mission. They were on a mission to meet with God at Mount Sinai and then to enter the promised land as God's people in covenant with him. But Moses, you see, took a little too long on the mountain. And when he comes down, it says, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, Same word. They had become unrestrained. What happened to them at the foot of the mountain? They started building idols, didn't they? Golden idol. Yeah, golden idol. See, the problem with losing your velocity is you become available to other things. They were no longer enamored captured by the vision that God had given them to be his people in the promised land, declaring his glory upon the earth. They had lost sight of that. And so now they were available to build idols. Now, the great lesson for us to learn here is the slower you travel as a Christian, the less you are compelled, the less scent is in your life, the more vulnerable you are to idols. The more whatever it is that's available out there, whatever advertises to get your attention, whatever draws you in, It will become more and more successful the slower you travel. So the question, it's a good question for covenant group time, is are you living an unrestrained life? And there's two ways to look at restraint here, right? I've, I've done this carefully. Restraint can either be the borders and boundaries and walls and fences that somebody else erects for your life. That's how some people hear restraint, right? Well, legalism would do that. But understand the opposite of legalism, which represents external pressure to get you to do what's really not in your heart to do, is to have a passion for God that is so compelling that it launches you into the purpose of God. It sends you out of passion in your own life and internal motivation for the glory of God. Now, if I'm traveling at a slow speed, track with me, if 
of traveling at a slow speed and living an unrestrained life, it's indicative of a lack of motivation in my life. I'm not motivated toward God that way. I'm not compelled toward him. And unrestrained, unrestrained lives are casual lives. They, they are spiritually unintentional lives. You find yourself that way? Un, unintentional toward things of the spirit, toward the kingdom of God. And I, I, listen, remember, I'm, I'm validating the fact that at some point you come into the church because it's a hospital. It's appropriate when you enter a hospital for no one to ask you to get up and perform surgery or move a chair or help out in the OR just to pick up trash. It's appropriate. But in the gospel, you and I get mobilized. At some point, it's no longer healthy for us to remain as hospitalized, needy individuals. That the only reason why we're here this morning is for something else in us to get fixed, Something else in me to get comforted. See, you are sent. The the bow is stretched and you are in it. And it's the healthiest thing. Because I know right now, that can sound insensitive, right? But you know, after all I've been through, the difficulty of my life, now for me to take on the responsibility also of the kingdom of God, it's like, oh man, like I need that. No, 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 no. That's exactly what you need. The Son of God is not being cruel in this moment where he is sending them. He is releasing them into life. And to do anything else with your life is to constantly battle the weariness of what led you to Christ in the first place. To be sent will not make you weary. To continue just to be concerned about me will make you very, very weary. These are sent ones. They are not restrained. Oh, pardon me, they are restrained by their sending. A couple thoughts. Unrestrained lives are vulnerable to crosswinds. When something travels slowly, it stays in the air too long, and the wind can blow it from left to right quite easily. You know, ideas that blow through life, you become vulnerable to them. When I think about ways in which God intended for the kingdom of God to be manifest and to promote who he is, you think through things like like marriages are a statement about the glory of God. But but see, there's winds blowing on marriages today. And if you're not traveling at a high velocity, you're vulnerable. Do you know how many people will say this at some point in their marriage? Perhaps you're here today and you've said it. It's not a biblical idea. But it's the interpretation of why God would not want you to stay in your marriage because I'm not happy. And and, and God would want me to be happy. That's not a biblical idea. If Jesus were traveling at a slow speed, I imagine he could have got to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, this can't really be what God wants for me because he would want me to be happy. You know, the next day or so here just really doesn't look happy. But see, Jesus is traveling at such a velocity toward the cross that even as he begins to taste 
the mounting doom of the wrath of God coming upon him, and he prays, Father, is it possible that this cup could pass from me? But nevertheless, not, not what I will, but you will be done. See, listen, that, that prayer gets transferred into multiple categories for us, doesn't it? Because at some point, my life is calling on me to die. And I'm tempted to pray, Father, is it, is it possible for me to dodge that death? Well, yeah, it is. If you're traveling real slow and you don't have anywhere to go anyway, you'll find that idea of dodging it is very appealing. Almost makes sense, as a matter of fact. You know, antiques. Well, I don't see any reason why not to stop. Get off here. It just makes sense for me to do that. But listen, part of the reason why that's making sense to you is because you're traveling so slow. You are vulnerable to whatever wind blows on you to blow you off course. There are ideas in entertainment today that are eating alive the slow-moving Christian. They're not traveling towards the scent dynamic. I mean, you understand, can, can you imagine the disciples in this conversation with Christ where he is sending them the urgency of being sent and, and they're trying to figure out how to incorporate more and more and more entertainment into their life. See, listen, if you're not going anywhere, then everything that looks entertaining is an opportunity for you. And and we live in an an entertainment-addicted society. We're just looking for whatever will thrill us next. You know why we're so easily thrilled? Because we are not thrilled with this mission. We're not launched into a mission that captures us and enamors us and blinds us, right? There's a restraining dimension to that's what I want, right? Go in, go in, you know, in the entertainment material world, go and find, you know, you're shopping for something. If you're like me, you, you examine all 38 options. You don't just look at the third one and choose it because there could be another one that's better than that one. So I explore all 38 options, but once I find that one, I lose sight of 37 of them. And this is, this is what I'm about now. See, gospel mission in this passage is what the Christian is about. And when we stop being about that, all the other options begin to become more attractive. And we're traveling so slow, we have time to look at them all and read every billboard on the highway that's advertising what's at the next exit that I, I think I might try that. that. Wow, look at that one. And, and we find ourselves vulnerable. But what I want to make very clear to us is that it, it is the lack of motivation that makes us vulnerable. It is, it is the lack of launching intensity that makes us Vulnerable. It is being sent by the Toys R Us version of Christianity. Rather than hearing the bow be stretched to the point where you wonder if it's going to break under the intensity of what God's passion is. Now, now let me move us toward 
looking at, you know, why this passion? I'm not even going to get close to those other two points, so don't even fall in love with them. John chapter 3, very familiar passage here. What, where does the intensity of this launching come from? What, what is it that's pulling the bow back like this? John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Where did the intensity of the sending come from? For God so loved. I don't know what's pulling the bow back. It is the revelation of the glory of God's love for sinners that pulls the bow back to the point where it begins to sound like it's about to pop. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Now watch the rest of this verse because it helps us interpret the rest of the passage as well. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because He has not believed in the name, the only Son of God. Now, this this is important because I I hope you notice as we read through the other passages, and listen, I know there are some here who have some foggy doctrine on what's the role the church plays in forgiveness? How how do you get forgiven for your sins? What What do you do with your sins to get forgiveness? When I grew up, right, can I just be real with y'all? You know, I want to have real church this morning, and you want me to be really, really polite. When I grew up, I was taught that for me to get forgiveness for my sins, I would need to go and confess to a priest. And he would have the authority to absolve me of my sins. Okay, now, basic importance. Where does that idea come from? Does the Bible teach that that is the means through which you and I receive forgiveness of our sins. Well, Keith, didn't you hear the passage in John chapter 20? You are sent, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Is this the transference? Now listen, that's all you have right there. Am I willing to make that statement mean that if an individual comes to someone who's ordained as a priest, that they may come to that person and receive forgiveness or not receive forgiveness based on that individual? Is, is that what that Bible verse is teaching? Because when I, when I get outside of just one verse and I look at, let's look at what all the Bible says about that. I don't find the Bible anywhere teaching that. And so, okay, maybe this verse would be less than clear, but in all the places where, remember, this is one photo lens. 
I just got to take in a picture of Jesus over and over and over again saying the same thing over and over and over again. And every time it's about mission. And almost every time it's about the forgiveness of sins through the proclamation of the gospel. Not through an individual visit where one person comes to another person and that individual then gives that person permission to have their sins forgiven. No, no, no. What Jesus is saying is you are sent with the gospel. And it is the gospel that saves men and forgives. It is God alone through the gospel that forgives men of their sins. Now, if you take the gospel or you do not take the gospel, you pull on the strings of forgiveness. For if you take it and proclaim the gospel, you bring forgiveness to men. If you do not take the gospel to men, then you do not bring forgiveness for their sins. And that's consistent all over the place. right? When, when God sent his son here in John 3, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Same sending, same effect upon those who are guilty of sin. If you send the gospel, men receive the news of the forgiveness of their sins. If you do not send the gospel, then their sins are retained for they do not receive the news of the forgiveness of Christ through the gospel. And you understand, and I can give you multiple passages, I wish I had more time, multiple passages that in scripture where you see the mission you hear the same thing, right? The Acts 24 passage, I mean, Luke 24 passage we read. It is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Great commission. You are sent, and when you go, you will proclaim the forgiveness of sins through the gospel. And if you do not go, then that will not be proclaimed. And those who are condemned, they're condemned already. When Paul received his commission in the book of Acts, he was sent, same concept, you can look this up later, Acts 26, verse 15 through 18. Speaking to Paul, Christ says, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, okay? Another person being sent. Here's why he's being sent. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Paul, when you take the gospel and you proclaim the gospel, men will receive forgiveness of their sins by believing. Those who believe will receive forgiveness. Those who do not, they are condemned already. Do you understand how all this... Sounds like exactly the same thing, doesn't it? There's no contradiction here, and there's no one being deputized to be a unique go-between between you and God. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 souls believed, it says there were added that day 3,000 souls. How did they get forgiveness for their sins? By believing. What must we do? Repent and believe. That's true today. Do you, you, you want to receive forgiveness for your sins? Then all you need to do is believe on Christ. And his blood will cleanse you of all sin. There should be no one here thinking. And you're going to need to have some individual receive your sins and then give to you forgiveness 
I know that's a big concept for maybe some of us here, but, but can, I, can I just be real again for a moment? Because I grew up believing that, but that didn't make confession of my sins a priority. Isn't that amazing? I believed that confessing my sins to a priest was a way to get forgiveness. But yet I wasn't regular. You regular? I mean, I show up. I mean, I had to do something serious. I mean, there had to be blood spill for me to show up with a list of whatever it was I'd done wrong. How, how do we believe that that's the way to get forgiveness and yet not access it? Do we really believe that? Can I encourage you to search the scriptures? To see if anywhere, anyone is appointed to be the spokesperson to pronounce your forgiveness. Now, the gospel pronounces your forgiveness. If you believe on Christ, he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible presents. Now, let me go back for a moment to this intensity of God. That this intensity in God, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Now, I'll give you, in closing here, a nerdy illustration because I have to use my engineering degree. How many of y'all know the first law of thermodynamics? Let me see your hands. Go ahead. This is not a smart group. We are in trouble. All right, when I say it, you're all going to go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Probably not. Um, the first law of thermodynamics says that energy can be neither created nor destroyed. Energy is constant. It just changes form, right? So it starts with, quote, potential energy, ball at top of hill, potential energy. Kinetic energy is ball rolling downhill, right? This is, you see, if you need to go to college, you can just come to church here <laughs> and get these kind of insights. Uh, all right. Potential energy, the Father. Sends his son, kinetic energy, the son. Now, the energy in this son is described in Philippians chapter 2. When Christ didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of an arrow, a servant in the hands of God to be launched at a velocity toward the cross. And he became, in that flight, obedient, even to the point of death. That is what scent looks like. If one wants to look, like, look at what an archer's arrow looks like when it's pulled back properly and launched with intensity, the Son of God's life is that arrow in flight. As the Father sent me, I send you. Jesus just described the Christian life. For he now takes the energy which can be neither created nor destroyed and he transfers it to us. That which was in the Father that so loved the world transferred to the work of the Son, now transfers by the Spirit, and wish I had more time, receive the Holy Spirit. Where do you and I get this intensity from? From ourselves? 
from you and I just buckle up your bootstraps, church. Let's pull it off. No, 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 no. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Receive the Holy Spirit. Do not leave Jerusalem till you are clothed with power from on high. Where's the intensity going to come from for us? It's going to come from the Spirit. It's going to transfer to us the intensity of God about being sent on a mission together. And now what I'd like to do right now, Matt, you can come, or Eric, is I would just like to invite the Holy Spirit for a few moments with us to capture us on radar gun. The Holy Spirit to aim his sight at your life and say, how fast are you traveling? Are you sent by God into this mission? Are, are all you traveling slow? The mission of God it doesn't capture you. It's not a huge priority. It doesn't absorb you. It doesn't show up in intensity. It doesn't represent the passion of your life, the compelling, the sense of the lostness of the world seldom connects with you. The sense of the mission of the church where every part does its part for the sake of the mission of the church to bring God's intense love and ministry into this world. The mentoring that Jesus did to others so that they might be sent, that they might come into a hospital and be sent, healed, and whole on a mission. Listen, this has everything to do with how fast you're traveling. And there's some of us right now, when the radar gun hits you, you're going to find you're wandered into the hillsides. You took an exit because you saw something that said antiques or whatever it is that you're into. And your travel this way towards the scent is very slow, but you're moving. You're just mo- not moving towards the call. You're just moving into whatever it is that attracts you. Listen, you know, when I conclude a message like this, I, I'm, I'm aware of, do you feel like I'm putting something on you? Okay, do you you feel like this passage put anything on the disciples? As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Do you think they felt put on? (laughs) Wouldn't you scratch your head twice and say, wait, 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 like you mean as the Father sent, like same, like like that? (laughs) We're sent like that. I don't know. You know, we're we're still not getting the resurrection, Jesus. (laughs) This is John 20, and we're scratching our heads over. How'd you get back here? And then he's saying, "Now I'm sending you, and you're going to travel. You're going to pick up speed suddenly here." And the good news is, the speed's going to come by the Spirit. That's the good news, right? I don't want to freak us out here. This is remember slow shutter speed. The Spirit is here. It's the new day. These men are not going to be traveling the way they had been traveling. They're going to pick up speed because of the Spirit in them who is part of the Godhead, who is transferring the energy, the the passion of God into the souls of men now. 
But I, I, I can't escape the sense of personal velocity. What about lost speed? I found myself vulnerable to ideas and entertainment and other pursuits because I'm not motivated towards you and your kingdom. Let's stand up together by God's help. My musicians have died. This is the resurrection. I will either take Matt or anyone who can play the piano. Oh, I'm sorry. There's Eric. <laughs> Lord, looking at this passage... It is a task too big for us, too big for us. For you to send us into the world in the same manner as the Father sent you into the world. Lord, that's, that's bigger than we feel we're capable of. So Lord, I thank you. Thank you for in this passage you wasted no time in highlighting the Spirit to us. Lord, before before the Spirit, you spoke about a mission. Spoke to our souls about a mission. Lord, this morning, speak again to your church about a mission. God, speak into our lives about the velocity of our lives about how much of our lives is consumed with a passion for your kingdom to come. For the love with which we have been loved, we are compelled that others might know and they might be affected. Oh Lord, if the passion for your church wanes, then Lord, the mission remains hopeless. God, if we are not compelled by the love with which you sent your son, then we are not going to move, not towards a cross, not towards your kingdom coming. So this morning, Lord, find us. God, find us where we are. God, find us in our pursuits. Find us in our practices. God, reveal to us the billboards we've been reading that have so caused us to get off track and find something else to do. Undoubtedly this morning, some are in touch with waywardness in your life. And perhaps as you're praying, you're you're a person who who never has gotten on track with God. may have meant to, been well-meaning throughout the way you've lived your life, but, but you've never come to the place where the mission of Christ absorbed who you are. Well, this morning... receive simply by believing. So if you've not put your faith in Christ before, this morning, do that right now. No matter where you've come from, there's not a person in this building, 
who has authority to bring you into the kingdom of God. The gospel is the message that you must believe. And if you do believe this morning, put your faith in Christ. Put your hope in Christ right now. Even while you're listening to me speak, turn to Christ. Say, you are my life as we sang earlier. I surrender my life to you. Of all the things that I've been about, of all the successes I've sought after, about all the pleasures I've intended to go after, this morning, Lord, I come to you in my weariness. And I want to take your yoke on my life and learn of you. I want to be about you and your kingdom. So I I surrender my life to you today. Jesus Christ, my life is yours. Maybe you've done that before, but you're finding right now your life has been wayward. You're not traveling towards the call of God in your life. You're not. Listen, don't don't miss this moment in the grace of God. To confess that to God. God, I am distracted, Lord. I am saddened. I am ashamed that I have become so easily attracted by other things. But I confess to you the weakness of my life, Lord. Help. Help me. Kindle afresh the fire of your purpose in my life. Lord, help me. Lord, remove the deceit that has crept into my world that I've let something else seem more rewarding to me than you and your glory upon this earth. God, help me. Holy Spirit, you are our hope in this present age. To blow with your wind upon our lives that we might receive power. And I pray for your power for conviction and hope to come into hearts this morning. God, I pray for some who are going to need to do more than just hear this message this morning, that they're going to need to make some tough decisions. Need to repent in some categories. They're going to need to reprioritize steps in their lives. God, Spirit of God, blow afresh upon your church today. God, may it be that that we're just not trying to do this out of our own strength and muscle and determination, for that would be impossible. But you have given us your Spirit. We are indwelt and enabled by your Spirit, God. Kindle afresh by the wind of your spirit, the flame of our lives. Blow again, God, upon our lives. That with a passion and a delight, we want to see your kingdom come, Lord. We want to see your will be done, and we want to see it with insistence and tenacity that perhaps once characterized our lives. Oh, God, let it do it again, Lord, in our hearts. Send us, oh, God. Pull back the bow and send us, yet again into your purpose. God, we don't want to be a people traveling with slow velocity. Restore to us, oh God, your passion for your glory to be seen through our lives. 
this morning as we close in song, Lord. Awaken and begin to deepen and awaken some this morning, Lord, that we might respond to you and to your spirit. In Jesus.